I want to sort of follow on from where Joe was. Uh, so for two weeks, we've actually uh, been talking about loving God, loving Jesus, and following. Um, to love God meant to follow Jesus and, and, and to follow his commands meant to love God and to love our neighbors. Not always easy. Not, not always the easiest thing to do. So I want to actually follow on from that with a come follow me message. But I first of all want to set a scene. I want to set the scene, what it was like in, in, in the first century. It's like, my goodness sake, so we're going back. So when we, when we look here at our New Testament and we start reading what happened here, we have a tendency to read this as if their lives were like ours today. We very rarely kind of step into what was happening at that time and see life from how they were living. The first century wasn't in, in Palestine, in Israel, wasn't a particularly nice place to live. They were like, um, <laughs> they were like roadkill. You know what roadkill is? Animal gets run over on the road, right? And then six trucks drive over it back and forth. And pretty soon it doesn't look like anything. Well, that's about what Israel looked like. They had been ruled over by, first of all, the Persians. Then after the Persians, the Greeks came along. And after the Greeks, the Syrians. And after the Syrians, the Romans. And now Rome rules. So they're in their own country, but for 500 years, they have been almost like slaves in their own land. Every year, there was a a celebration that took place. That celebration was for Caesar Augustus's birthday. That's the Roman Empire, Emperor Caesar Augustus. He was declared to be the son of God. Did you know that? <laughs> His adopted father, Julius Caesar, had adopted this young guy. His name was Octavian. And, and so... When Julius Caesar was declared to be a god, his adopted son was called son of God. Octavian had such a career in the military um, because there were wars all over the place, but he had such a career that when he finally fought a battle in 31 B.C., anybody know what it was? Battle of Actium, and it was against Mark Antony and Cleopatra, queen of Egypt. History in the first century is actually really, really interesting, really interesting. He finally had brought peace to the Roman Empire that stretched all over the known world. So because he had brought peace, he was called the prince of Peace. 
Because he ruled over the entire known world, the whole Mediterranean basin, and, and Europe as well, he was called the king of kings, lord of lords. Can you see a slight conflict here? <laughs> How many of you have been in the shops lately? What do you see coming up? Christmas decorations. Christmas decorations. Hard to believe. <laughs> Harder for me because it's hot outside. Okay? Christmas decorations. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Oh, how about Hark? Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to. Peace on earth and mercy, mild. What's the news? God and sinners reconciled, joyful. All the earth rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Can you, if you start singing those words, you are singing in conflict to the Roman Empire. I want to put it to you that it wasn't just Herod who had a problem with a newborn king, as we'll see later on in Jesus' life, especially with his early followers. Every year, Caesar Augustus, they called him Augustus the August one, the one that is worthy of honor. Every year on his birthday, everyone was required to pay homage to Caesar. You did that not by sort of sacrificing a goat or anything like that. Usually just a pinch of incense. Later on, later on, when, when uh, after Jesus had died and rose again, and uh, that requirement kept on going through various Caesars, the new church, the early Christians, were compelled to do that. Just, just take a pinch, man. Just what you could hold between your fingers, just that. And they wouldn't, and they died. Often them, their families, their property confiscated just for not doing that. Okay. So if you submitted to Caesar, then you got some benefits. He would build you aqueducts and roads and libraries and all kinds of things. If you didn't submit to Caesar, you got, usually got crucified. Crucifixion wasn't anything new when Jesus was finally crucified. Before Jesus was born, there was a Messiah that came along, and the result was that he led a whole bunch of followers against Rome, an uprising, and Rome crucified 800 of them. 
Something was happening when Jesus was born. Because people, the Jews, knew their Old Testament, and they knew the book of Daniel. And we're not going to do it now because that's another message, but if you do mathematics, if you just look at Daniel's prophecy, you will see that right about the time that Jesus is born, people are looking for Messiah. They're expecting him. So, into this situation comes Jesus. Of course, not quite what they expected. They expected a king that would throw off the Roman Empire and free them, and the whole world would know that Israel was great (laughs) once again. He doesn't act like what they thought he would act like. He does things on the Sabbath that to them breaks the the Sabbath. Now, you have to understand, the Sabbath rules that the Pharisees had come along with, uh, about another 613 of how you could break the Sabbath, Um, you weren't allowed to tie a knot on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to take a rope and tie a knot in it unless you really had to, and then you could tie it with one hand. If you were right-handed, you had to tie it with your left hand. If you're left-handed, you had to tie it with your right. If you couldn't get around that, the only people who could tie a knot were ladies because the way they dressed, they had a belt, and it tied like a sash. (laughs) Show me a system. And I'll show you a way around it. Huh? Show me a system. I'll show you a way around it. So guess what people did? If they wanted to tie up their donkey or their t- whatever, guess what they did? They took a woman's sash. <laughs> and they used that for a rope and tied a knot in that. You weren't allowed to move a chair. You weren't allowed to do this. Because they had plowing rules and all kinds of cooking rules. and This will leave a mark on the earth, and that is plowing. So if you want to move a chair, you have to pick it up carefully and put it down without disturbing the ground. You couldn't spit on the ground. On, on Dirt, in case it was a dry day and dust moved. You could have to spit. You could spit, but you had to spit on a rock. (laughs) So your aim had to be pretty good. My aim is pretty good. I was laughing the other day. I thought maybe I would have been able to do that. I was brushing my teeth, and I went right on the drain. I thought, yay. Okay. So he breaks the Sabbath. He completely overthrows or does away with the whole temple system. He forgives sins. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? You've got to understand the temple is a great, big, huge building in Jerusalem. And in front of it, there are lines and lines and lines of people with doves and pigeons and goats and heifers and whatever. Lines and lines. It's continual. It's continual. 
And as soon as they come and offer, and they go home, and guess what? <laughs> Done it again. Go and get another one. <laughs> Join the line. Right? He says, your sins are forgiven. He starts interacting with some really dicey people. One of them were, was a tax collector, a guy called Levi. Levi, so he's a Levite. What do Levites do? They're the priests, hey. They're supposed to be the priests at the temple. <laughs> this guy is not a priest at the temple. This guy is sitting at a roadside, every gate, every border, every town. Worse than going to Johannesburg, okay? Every, every place you went, there's a tax collector. The, the, the horrible thing, though, was not just paying taxes. It's that those tax collectors added on their share. So they were corrupt. So Jesus comes along and he sees this guy, Matthew, Levi, a tax collector. And he says in Luke 27, have we got it? Do we have them? Oh, there we are. Okay. Luke 27, he says, Jesus noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew left everything behind and rose and followed him. Later on, we find Jesus calling Simon, fisherman. And and, and he calls them, and it, it says, and immediately... Immediately, there's a call, there's a response. There's a call, there's a response. If there's a call and there is not a response, God's gracious. Calls again. Is there a response? Calls again. We get hard-hearted. Pretty soon we don't hear. We don't respond. These guys did. So after Matthew comes along, Jesus goes and he just he just gets up the Pharisees' noses, all the religious people who say these are the people you should hang with and these are the people you shouldn't, because he sits with prostitutes, sits with sinners. Yay, hallelujah, because I'm one. What I find amazing, though, when I look at Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is that he actually writes that he was a tax collector. He's put it in his own gospel, which is really something, because Matthew was the first gospel to be written. Gospel, good news, a euangelion, funny. Ever heard of a praise singer? You ever seen a praise singer? That's, that's this. That's, that's what gospel means, is to proclaim something. So his good news, his proclaiming good news is that he was a tax collector that Jesus called. 
He could have hidden it. He didn't need to say it. He didn't need to say it. None of them hid it. None of them hid anything. Mark ran away. Paul killed Christians. None of them hid it. Sometimes when, when I have given my testimony, I've had every once in a while my, my wonderful Colin would say to me, are you going to tell them all? <laughs> are you going to tell them everything? It's like, do you have to tell them everything? You know? Yes, I do. Because that just gets up the devil's nose. So how did these people, these horrible people, these task gatherers and prostitutes and alcoholics and drunkards and everybody else, how was it that they ended up changing? How was it that they got over who they were? Two main points to being a Christian, two main things. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Isn't that right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New. But also Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Two things. I am what is, I often, I mean, I hang around with people who are the same as me, and oftentimes you will hear the phrase, I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm not grateful for the things that I did. I'm not grateful for the people that I heard. But I'm grateful. The Bible says... He who has been forgiven much loves much. And I'm grateful because in my recovery, as I worked recovery, I found out a whole lot about myself and I found out a whole lot about God and I was able to reconcile a whole lot of things in my past. Steps one, two, three. I admitted that I'm powerless over alcohol and that my life is, is unmanageable. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because I was nuts. I want to tell you what, you can put your finger on your nose and say, so were you. You don't have to be an alcoholic to be nuts as a sinner. Hey, crazy. Step three, made a decision. To turn my will, decision-making process, and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Understand him a bit more today. And here comes step four. Something I think everybody should do. That's just me. (laughs) Step four. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Step five, admitted to God, myself, and another individual the exact nature of my wrongs. 
work. One of the things at the end of an AA meeting is everybody joins hands together. reason we do it, we join hands and we stand this way to remind ourselves that we need never stand alone again. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Written by R.H. Niebuhr, wonderful Christian. And then it goes like this. It works if you work it, so work it, you're worth it. The funny thing is when it starts out around the circle, especially if there's newcomers, this thing goes all over the place. At the end, though, it goes, it works if you work it. I want to say the same thing about following Jesus. Following Jesus works if we work it. There's a parable in the Bible that, that Jesus tells that I often find, when I first read it, I thought, what the heck? I don't know. And I think that's the response of a lot of people. It's in Matthew 21. It says, there were two, sorry, that doesn't show up. It says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. No, I won't, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And that son answered, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first answered. I want to ask you something. If that's the right answer, if that's the correct answer, if the first one, if that's the right answer, then why did Jesus say what he says next? Jesus says to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you, ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe it. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you didn't repent and believe them. What does he mean? Half obedience is disobedience. The word we need to hang on to is the word immediately. The word, for me, God speaks and I have to immediately respond. Half obedience is no obedience. Well, I'll think about it. It's disobedience. Does God make room for our lack of faith? (laughs) Yeah, he does. Here's how he makes room for it. Obedience. Ah, Funny. There's a book here. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. It's written by Bonhoeffer. Some of you probably read this. I picked it up a couple of weeks ago. I'd gone down the coast for a week, and I took it with me, and I reread it, and I ended up going, I repent, I repent, I repent. I don't understand, Lord. I'm not too sure. The answer to lack of faith, to uncertainty, 
is obedience. Obedience. The person who believes obeys. But only the obedient believe. Mm. The person who believes obeys. You have to believe to obey. Is this God talking? Yes, it's God. You believe to obey, but only the obedient actually believe. Only the obedient believe. Wow. Faith is only real. Faith is only real. It only becomes real in obedience. Faith is not some idea because we don't follow a philosophy. We follow a person that's alive. Here we go. The gospel always makes a claim. Always. The gospel always calls you, me, to obedience. I made a decision to follow Christ. I haven't always got it right. I'll tell you about that sometime too. <laughs> it always makes a claim. Now it has to stay made. God has a claim on the entire cosmos. God has a claim on the entire universe. It's all his. It's all his. Stand outside, look at the sky, and then ask yourself the question, why is it that I think you don't care for me? Look at you. I don't mean you. I mean, huh? Focus on the correct goal. Focus on the correct goal. The correct goal is to get to know Christ, is to get to know Jesus. It's not my problems. It's not to focus on problems. It starts the healing, starts the process of healing and redemption as I get to know him. Know him. Know that he loves you. He loves me. I, I was hoping that Sarah would leave that flower alone because <laughs> I wanted to pull the petals off. We, we used to do it as a kid. He used to run outside, right? grab a daisy or grab a flower and go, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Is that right? Okay, it's not that. Folks, it's not that. It's not Jesus loves me, loves me not. No, no, no. Show me a system. I'll show you a way around it. We used to count the petals first. Then you know where it's going to end up. (laughs) Focus on the correct goal. When we focus on the correct goal, when we get to know Christ, all sorts of things begin to show up as he shows us who we really are. One of the things that he deals with pretty quickly with me or has been on a continuing basis is something called pride. I had a thing in my house this past couple of weeks. There's a a plaster crack. We did an extension, and there's, there's this little hairline crack So I thought, well, I don't know how to do that. I've got no idea what I'm supposed to do or how you fix it. I just know if I ask somebody, it's going to cost me thousands. So I did what we all should do these days when we have a problem. I Googled it. 
and I found a demonstration on YouTube of how you fix a hairline crack. What's the thing that you have to do? Do you know what you have to do? Yeah. You have to chase it. You actually have to make it bigger. Yeah, you have to take, I mean, I took a chisel and a little hammer. Clink, 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 clink. Now, somebody came in my house the other day and went, wow, what a crack. <laughs> I may have overdone it. Anyway, so I'm talking to some friends the other night, and there's a couple of guys there, and they're talking to me. I know you, now you need to get something called Plaster Fix, and you put it in, and, and, and you put a little bit in, and you know, because let it dry, then put some more. And then this one guy says to me, and make it, make it slightly proud, okay, because you'll need to come back and sand it down. Okay, slightly proud. I want to, I want to tell you something. You can see it from a mile away. That slightly proud line on the wall stands out a mile. Huh? So does mine. God help me. All sorts of things come into view. All right. Next thing, forgive and forget the past. Clear away the wreckage of your past. That's what AA tells us. Clear away the wreckage of your past. How? Make a list of all the people that have ticked you off, hurt you, got your goat, done you wrong, whatever. Make a list. People, institutions, whatever. Make a list. I didn't think I had any. I'd done this. I've been sober 30 years. I'd, I thought I'd been fine. And then I sat with a guy, <laughs> Mike from Pretoria, little American guy. I, contrary to some people, love Americans. <laughs> I'm just joking. Little American guy, ex-Vietnam vet and ex-San Francisco policeman. And he's about this big, and, and he probably weighs, I don't know, 75 kg, something like that. Little guy, married to a lady that lives here, so they come down from Pretoria every once in a while. He said to me, step four knocking, you need to do a step four. I didn't say, I don't really, you know, I mean, he did with a group of people, not just me alone, but I don't really have resentments. He said, yes, you do. I said, no, actually, Mike, I don't think I do. He says, ask God to show you. Do you know, on a full scat page, I walked away with about, I don't know, 10, 11. By that night, I had finished the page. Now, I want to suggest to you, I'm not just a horrible, nasty, awful, grudging person. We're all like that. We are all like that. If I don't clear away the wreckage of my past, if I don't clear away my resentments, my hurts, whatever, they stay with me in my present. And get with another person <laughs> when you do that. See, I know the character defects in a general way 
of the group that I hang out with, and, and I would suggest again that it's probably pretty accurate for all people, is I am selfish, self-centered, inconsiderate, dishonest, and afraid. Do you want me to say that again? <laughs> selfish. Selfish. I was making sandwiches one time, and uh, for Colin and I, uh, so I'm in the kitchen, and there was about like this much bread, you know, whatever, like this. And I pulled it out, and so I mean, two sandwiches, and I thought, wow, you know, the bread's not exactly fresh. But I thought, well, these two are pretty fresh, and, you know, those ones a little bit, this last one's a up against the crust, so not so nice. So I thought, well, that's okay, you know, I'll take this one, and Colin can have that one. And, and again, God, it's like, don't you think that's a little selfish? Okay, so he gets the fresh one and I get the other one. (laughs) Even in the small things, even in the little things, me first, selfish, self-centered. It revolves around me, folks. Self-centered, inconsiderate, inconsiderate, dishonest. Did you, (laughs) like little kids, hey, did you steal that cookie? Did you take that cookie? No. (laughs) Isn't that right? and afraid, fearful. Remember the young lady that was here from Bethel? Remember the thing that she said that God had asked her? Do you remember that? Do you remember God said to her? Can't think. What was her name? Candace. Said to her, Candace, what would your life look like if you weren't afraid? That just bowled me over. I mean, what would your life look like if you weren't afraid? Hey, I've got to tell you, I have faced some fear <laughs> in the last couple of years. What would my life look like if I wasn't afraid? People tell me all the time, they ask me, Eileen, are you going back to Canada? I don't think so. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you think so? Well, God hasn't said anything, and I'm not there. <laughs> if God wanted me there, I'd be there. At the moment, I don't think so. Hey, life alone is lonely. Hmm? And I have plenty of friends, so I don't need you to invite me for coffee or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Fill up on healthy food. The Word of God. Learn it. Scripture interprets Scripture. Don't come up with all this funny stuff. Hey? Oh, the gospel of Judas. Oh, the Da Vinci Code. Oh, nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense. Nonsense. Read your Bible. Read Ephesians. When we get a big picture of God, I I was thinking about it. I was singing it the other day, and I I looked up the words on on the Internet. Remember, remember there was an old hymn, and one of the lines was, lost in wonder, love, and praise. When was the last time you were lost in wonder, love, and praise? Lost in wonder, where God just overwhelms. That's that's love on its feet. Worship is love on its feet. Love on its knees is mission. Love on its knees is doing. And that's the pulse 
Love God. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's the pulse of following Jesus. Become familiar with God's voice. Hear God. Hear God. (laughs) Hear God. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. (laughs) See if there be any hurtful thing in me. Anything out of kilter. I pray over and over again, God, please do not let me have my own way. Do not, do not let me have what I want. Don't let me have my own way. After, after Colin died, and I think it's important that we realize that we can only do that when we understand and we have it secure that God actually loves us and sees us and knows us all the time. After Colin died, one of the things that happened was I had to pay the registration on the Fortuna, which I didn't know how to do. I was very well looked after. (laughs) And uh, so I ended up in Marion Hill you know, and all this stuff. And, and then somebody said, you know, you can do that at the post office. I said, oh, okay. And now I had the new registration disc, which has to go on the window. The window. But I thought, well, now what? Because there's, there's a sticky disc that's on the window. So I tried to pull the disc off and take the old one out and put the new one in. But it just kept falling off. So I thought, well, I have to, now I have to get a new sticky disc. And I don't know where to get one. So I thought, oh, I, I, I was coming down, and I ended up stopping at the traffic light at Heritage, and I just started crying. I thought, God, this is ridiculous. I don't even know where to get a stupid sticky disc. You know? I, I mean, I, I, now what? I mean, the one that's on there says Toyota. I'm going to feel like a right Nunu driving into Toyota service department to say, please, can I have a sticky disc? I mean, really? You know, and I'm sitting there at the light, and I'm thinking, God, I am so inept. I'm so vulnerable. Now, I need to tell you, one of the things that Colin hated was pizza. He, maybe just about as much or maybe a bit more than he hated Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) He used to call it fried fraught. He hated fast food, McDonald's, or any, any of the fast food stuff. It was like, oh. every once in a while, you know, the grandkids or somebody would talk him into it. So here I am, I'm sitting at the robot, huh? sitting at the robot, and I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. Stupid, sticky disc. And God says to me, into my head comes, do you think there might be one in the glove compartment? Really? What do you call them? What do you call it? Cubbyhole. Okay. Glove box. Because in Canada, it's where you keep your gloves. Because it's cold. Do you think there might be one in the glove box? 
So I opened it, and I lifted up the manuals. That's what was in. It's kind of broken now because I pulled it off. That's what. Debonair's Pizza. (laughs) What are the chances that Colin Crowhurst would have a Debonair's Pizza sticky disc in the glove box? And I sat there, and through my tears, I started to laugh because it's like, God, not only do you provide your sense of humor, it's like, I mean... Nobody else would have said anything. They would have said, oh, it's a day. I know what that means. What are the chances? What are the chances? God knows. God hears. God knows the struggles, what we're facing, the hurts, the mananana, whatever. That's why, why not make a list? Why not get rid of it all? Oh, we need to humper. We'll just go down to the next one. Manage your time. Manage your time. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you? Oh, no, no. Don't you know that one? If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because guess what? Busy, 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 busy. No time for a prayer, no time for a reading, no time. Busy, busy, busy. Take time. Relax. God's got it in control. Manage your time. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV and read. Something worthwhile. Not silly stuff. Not junk. Learn the tactics of your enemy. Do you know, one of the things I thought last night when I was sitting, I thought, and it's hard sometimes to to kind of walk it out. The privilege of being born now, of living now. The privilege of being born now. Now we sit and we go, God chose you for such a time as this. God chose me for now, here. Hallelujah. Know your familiar sins. Know your familiar sins. Where I come from, that's called your default setting. What's your default setting? My default setting is selfish, self-centered, inconsiderate, dishonest, and being afraid. What familiar sins? Do you know what familiar sins are? Is there, are there patterns in your life? Whenever this happens, you lose your temper. Whenever that, da, 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 then mm, you withdraw or you give up or whatever. Habits. Habits. Well, this is just what I do. After dinner, I have ice cream. (laughs) If you're on a diet, don't keep ice cream. Hmm? Addiction. Oh, that's hard. You've got to starve it. It's like the little shop 
whatever, the little shop of horrors or whatever it was. Huh? Feed me, Seymour. No. Huh? Pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Pursue righteousness. That's the power of God to face the mountains in my life, to say no to the devil, to say no to temptation. Pursue righteousness. I don't know about you. I wanted to bring one of those sparklers, and I forgot about it. You know those birthday sparklers that the places put for kids? I want, I want that to be me. That's how I want to go out. Here I come into heaven. <laughs> I want to go out like a sparkler. Okay? Blazing into heaven. Find your gift. We've all got gifts. Find it. Develop it. Here's a big one. Get over your culture. Just get over it. Get over it. Somebody said something about, oh, yeah, about African culture and, and, and veneration or worship of ancestors. Yeah, it's an abomination to God. Okay? But, but, how many people think that Auntie Susie, Uncle Fred, whoever is looking over them today? When we bring flowers to a grave, are we doing that for Auntie Susie? Or are we doing that to remember? Or what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Do you really think that your father, mother, aunt, uncle, whoever it is, is looking down from heaven and sees you? That is bad theology. It's wrong, and it's just as wrong as, as saying my ancestors are there to look after me. It's the same thing. Every culture is hostile to truth. Every culture. So get over it. Step into the kingdom of God. It's a whole lot of better place to be. <clears throat> Finish strong. Man, I want to go out. I, I, I just said, God, I don't, I don't want to go out. I want to go out, okay? The nicest thing that somebody said to me this week was they, they refused to believe how old I was. <laughs> I said, thank you. It must be all the brandy I drank. Okay? Finish strong. The kingdom of God is a place where people love their enemies. They do good to people who despitefully use them. Hey? They're visible. They suffer for righteousness. I nearly put the picture up there of the 21 guys that got beheaded by ISIS. 21 men. Beheaded. Not nice. Beheaded for Christ. They're Christians. They showed a, somebody took a picture of the water in front because they were on the beach. And the water ran red. One of the words in the New Testament that's used for witness is the word where we get martyr from. Suffering for Jesus doesn't mean I'm, what is it they say in the States? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buffet my body. I'm going to go to one of those 100-meter long smorgasbord buffets. <laughs> that's not suffering for righteousness. 
The Sermon on the Mount is written to, to tell us what a visible community of God looks like. This is what we're supposed to look like, hey? To live differently than the rest of the world. It's a way of life that no politician can actually legislate. Do you know, the, I looked at the, the recent stats on population in South Africa is somewhere around 54 million. Africa Mflope, according to him, about 70% of South Africa is Christian. Really? If that's true, what's happened to our witness? 90,000 abortions every year. I won't go there right now. We don't have time. But you should look at it. Not nice. Ephesians 3 says that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be shown to the principalities and powers. Hmm? I want the power of God in my life to be a witness. Years ago, years ago, I, I don't know who it was, Chris Fienand or somebody rather. See this? Well, it's a piece of masking tape. Huh? He brought a piece, he brought a roll of masking tape, a bunch of us. And he said, okay, here's what be a witness means. Take some tape and stick it over your mouth. By your actions. Be a witness without words. Live your life. Live a life of honesty, integrity, love, truth. Giving, serving. Joe Morris's Zimbabwean outreach. Zolani's Monday night. One of the things that Francis Schaeffer wrote a long time ago, he said the 21st century church, the 20th century actually church, the two things they would suffer from is a mistaken ideology of prosperity that comes in the form of personal peace and affluence. Personal peace. Leave me alone. Don't disturb me. Thank you very much. I just want a life that's no crisis. And affluence, too much is never enough. Too much is never enough. New cell phone, is the old one broken? No, no, but this is the new. I seem to be off on cell phones, eh? Right? Cheap grace, costly grace. Our country, South Africa, with, with those statistics that say 70%, our country has been inoculated, vaccinated against the truth of Christ. You know why? Nominal Christianity. Weak Christianity. That's what happens. They take a weak form 
of measles or whatever it is, and that's what they vaccinate you with so that you don't get the real thing. That's what's going on. I, I'm with people all the time. If, if you say church, <laughs> if you say Jesus, he's kind of cool. But they think Christians want to grab them and throw them into a building somewhere. Someone said, Christians act like salesmen on commission. You're just like, I got me one. <laughs> hey? Mild Christianity. Look up 2 Timothy 2. You'll find 14 role models in there to follow. We are called to partnership with God. To go to this nation. Easy to go. Way over there. Hard to stay. And I'm not talking about you guys. Oh, God, please let me be called to Patagonia. Hey, somewhere. We had communion. Common union. What have we in common with this man? What, what have I, what do you have in common with this man here? Who laid down his life. Hi. Not in a nice way. Will you follow? Do you love Jesus? Remember Joe asking, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Will you follow? Amen. Amen.